Good morning, everyone. Kwong, the uh, lavalier won't power up, so I'm just going to use this, okay? Isn't it great to be together and just enjoy one another in the presence of the Lord and belonging to the King? I want to ask you this morning to turn to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a uh, story from Kenya. Um, For those of you who are visiting, we, several of us in the church, got back from Kenya five or six weeks ago, and I want to tell a personal story that impacted me while I was there. Um, I was coming back in a van from teaching on marriage to some pastors, and we came to the town square, and there our puppet team was performing. Charlene Dunn was preaching, and so we stopped the van, and we got out, and, and uh, I sat there and listened to Charlene minister and saw some of the puppet routines, and, and then it was time to pray for the people, and so I got involved with that. And I found myself uh, swarmed by street boys, and um, I want to think that they saw Jesus in me. Uh, and were attracted to me because of that. It may have been they saw maybe a rich white guy. Uh, I don't know which, but at any rate, I was surrounded by street children, and uh, uh, they wanted to receive Jesus, but I think the thing they were pushing for the most uh, was they wanted to go to school. They kept saying, I want to go to school, and they were holding my hands. In fact, there was one little boy in particular who grabbed my hand, and he would not let go. And, uh, but I noticed that his eyes looked very strange, and um, it, uh, it became clear to us that he, uh, in his pocket he had a, a bottle of glue and a stick in his hand, and so he was, had been sniffing glue and uh, was, I th- probably addicted to that. But I was very uh, moved by this child in particular. We prayed for them to receive Christ, and, and we got them. They wanted food. We got them a little bit of food, not much. But um, it, t- it, it became time to leave on the bus, and I had to get on the bus, and he would not let go of my hand. And, of course, I couldn't bring him on the bus uh, with us to go, and so... I I literally had to pry his hand out of mine uh, to get back on the bus. And then his eyes were on me. And, you know, he would not not break eye contact with me. And it was just very uh, disturbing, very heart-wrenching. And so I shared that with the team that night. And um, a day or two went by, and I I was troubled by this by this happening. What, what could I do for these children that would be of eternal significance? And uh, we comforted ourselves with the thought that leading them to Christ was probably the very, very best thing we could do because Jesus has all the resources in the world, um, and he is their, their real answer. But it still was disturbing, you know, to have to pry this little boy's hand out of my hand and, and go on about our business. But 
One morning, a couple of pastors, local pastors, and I were talking in our, our compound, and they shared with me that, um, that they know these street children by name, and they know their situation. In fact, they very aggressively meet with these children at least, they do at least 12 interviews with every child to determine why, they, why are they homeless, why have they left their families, do they have families, do they go to school, can we get them in a school, can we reunite them with their families. And of course, the little boys out of survival, they lie uh, about their family situation, about their name, and so that's the reason for these extensive interviews. And I was blown away with relief and also with great uh, pride for these brothers who take such concern for these children that they would not even attempt an intervention until they've done at least 12 interviews. I don't know how they came up with the number 12, but that's, that's what they told me. So I came home from Kenya with this burning desire to have the same kind of dedication in my heart and, and be determined to be fruitful to be more fruitful. How many of you would like to be more fruitful for the Lord and, and more dedicated? It's, it's with that desire that, that I speak to you this morning. And so I've been asking the Lord, um, how can I be more fruitful? And I believe he's led me as a first step to Matthew 24 and 25. Um, before we look at that, though, I want to I want to tell you that I, I was thinking as I came back from Kenya mostly in terms of soul winning. How can I be more evangelistic? How can I be a better soul winner? But in reality, there are many kinds of spiritual fruit, aren't there? Many kinds. And so as I talk, I don't want you to limit it to just soul winning in your mind. How many of you have been to, a, to an Oklahoma fruit stand in the heat of summer? And what a refreshing place it is. The, usually it's in a shady area, and there's a tent over the fruit, and you go in, and you're, you're struck by the smells of the fruit, and there's melons, and there's nectarines, and there's berries of various sorts. Everyone knows that Dallas Bros' favorite fruit are blueberries, uh, and... Um, just the thought of the, the raspberries and the, the blueberries and the strawberries and all those fruits, even though I don't really like fruit that much, it's, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful place. And how many of you have just bought a bunch of fruit and gone and sat in your car or at a picnic table somewhere and just enjoyed all those luscious flavors and the juices and everything staining your clothes? It's wonderful. But it's that way with spiritual fruit in the kingdom of God, too. There's, there's so much we could highlight, ministering to the poor, working with children, soul winning, teaching, um, just, just too many ways to enumerate the spiritual fruit that we can be a part of in the kingdom of God. Well, let's look now at Matthew uh, 24. Um, this is what's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, and he had um, one of his disciples had said, Do you see the temple, and isn't it beautiful? And in verse 2, Jesus said, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another 
which will not be torn down. And then in verse 3, the disciples come to him privately and say, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the end of the age? So there's at least two questions there and possibly three. Now, most scholars think that the disciples believed that the fall of Jerusalem, that, that the uh, disciples believed that the destruction of the temple and the end of time, the end of the age, would be the same event. But Jesus took some time here in these two chapters to basically say, you know, the Roman invasion that's coming is one thing, but the end of the age is something else. And so he, 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 he begins to prepare his disciples that there's going to be a long period of time before he returns. And he does that through the use of six stories or parables or similitudes. And I'd like to touch on the first two and the last one, but linger on the third, fourth, and fifth parables. Okay? So let's look at these together. Jesus turned the question of when will these things be to a different question. And the question became, how will you live as you wait for my return? The first, uh, I'll just tell you the six parables. The first one is the parable of the fig tree. The second one is the, called the master of the house in some, by some scholars. Others call it just an illustration based on the days of Noah. The third one is called the two servants. The fourth is more familiar to you, the ten virgins. The fifth is the parable of the talents. And the sheep and the goats is the last one. Most of you remember that parables in general have one primary truth. And so when you read a parable, you're searching for that primary truth or primary point that Jesus is trying to make. And so often parables are misinterpreted because people allegorize them or they find details in the story that aren't really the main point of the parable. So again, we're going to touch on all six, but look especially at the parable of the two servants, the ten virgins, and the talents. And so as we move through these, I just want you to know that I'm mindful of uh, that verse in John 15 where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now, Jesus said that to his disciples, but I think it's fair to say by extension, our Lord is looking to us to be fruit bearers. Amen? And so, Lord, uh, the title of this message is, Increase Our Faithfulness, O God. Increase Our Faithfulness, O God. All right, the first parable is the parable of the fig tree. And that's, I would just like to read verse 32 and 33 of chapter 24 to touch on this parable. Verse 32 reads, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. The little phrase that helps me 
try to capture the central meaning of this parable is the phrase, understand the times. I think the Lord wants us to have a posture of deep spirituality, but also understanding the times in which we live. Karl Barth, many of you may remember, was a great theologian who said we ought to have the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Understand the times. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it chronicles how David had people coming to him to form his mighty army. And among that group was a group of men called the sons of Issachar. And it said of them that they understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. And I want to cross-reference one verse from a, a couple verses from Ephesians where the Apostle Paul is talking to the Ephesians and he says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. I think the first thing we can do is is spiritually posture ourselves to remember that the days are evil. Let's not be lulled to sleep by the comfort and the prosperity of our culture. Amen? The days are evil. And we need to understand the times. So that's just a bit, a touch on the first parable, the parable of the fig tree. The second one is um, called the days of Noah illustration, or the master of the house, beginning in verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There shall be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. How many of you men in this congregation have planned down to a fraction of an inch your response when an intruder comes into your bedroom at night? Come on. Come on. Be brave. Jason has. I have. Is it a, is it a family thing? <laughs> I picture Laura slipping off her side of the bed and grabbing a shotgun and being ready. <laughs> And uh, I reach into my drawer and grab the mace or something, you know. But um, I think I shared with you one time before that Laura was away and I was feeling a little nervous, so I was going through my routine of what I'd do if somebody broke in and I had a can of mace next to my bed and I was shooting it at the door and shooting it over here and somehow I shot it into the ceiling fan and it blew back. (laughs) 
That stuff really stings, I'll tell you what. (laughs) The little phrase I use to capture my attention or summarize this parable is, be ready for the unexpected. You know, Jesus is coming back. And are we ready? Are we on the alert? Are we staying poised for his return at all times? Doesn't mean you can't have fun. Doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. Uh, it, it just, it's, it's a spiritual posture that I feel the Lord is, is saying is the first step in fruitfulness, is be on the alert and so on. Will I remain expectant? when others are busy just doing life? It's a great question for the return of the Lord. The third parable is the parable of the two servants. Let's read that together. This is uh, verses 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, weeping there, weeping shall be there, and the gnashing of teeth. The little phrase that captures it for me for this parable is stay on duty. Stay on duty. It's a word of perseverance, isn't it? When everybody else is playing and having fun and, and uh, forgetting about um, God, we are called to still be persevering, to still be on duty, to still be pursuing fruit. I wonder if you've ever noticed in Luke 8, the parable of the sower and the seed, that um, when it talks about the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with what? Bear fruit with perseverance. How many times have you started something in the Lord only to abandon it way too soon? I think of uh, John and Yuri and their work with Ichisan in this regard. Eighteen years, you know, ministering in, in hard soil. And yet, isn't it a miracle of God that today, the very day that they're here, he's being baptized isn't that beautiful? And uh, I, just, I just want to honor our brother and sister for their perseverance in a place where it's just hard going. What an example. I think also of Kids Club, um, uh, or uh, Good News Club, birthed out of uh, Kids Hope. And I don't know, Charlene's not here to say, but how many years have we been involved with Kendall Whittier. Eight or nine years, and we're seeing fruitfulness 
uh, Dawn and, and John Schwani and the Mackendorfers are, and others I'm sure I'm not even aware of are getting more and more deeply involved in the children's lives, visiting in their homes, bringing them to church. Isn't that a beautiful picture of perseverance and staying on duty when uh, we could have backed off and, and could have given up? The two servants say to me, stay on duty. Let's read the parable of the ten virgins briefly. I believe there's a real lesson here that, uh, that I'm seeing anyway, and that is, then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. This is verse 1 of chapter 25. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent, or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now when the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. For while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. I want you to notice that all ten virgins fell asleep, not just the five. It wasn't, it wasn't a case that the five wise ones were staying awake, keeping their lamps somehow trimmed and lit. No, they all fell asleep. The difference was that the five wise had brought extra oil. And so, to help myself, I've labeled this um, particular, the the primary meaning of this particular parable, um, position yourself for success. The five wise virgins planned ahead, didn't they? Somebody has said, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And I've thought about as I've pondered, how could I be more fruitful? How could I position myself for success, for greater success? I thought of, I often think of Willard Hudson and how he would go to the nursing homes before the Sunday morning service, and he'd, he'd say, five got saved this morning, or two got saved this morning, or ten got saved this morning. The man was bearing fruit because he positioned himself for success. Um, But I also thought about how the power of others being involved in whatever endeavor we take on, the power of twos. You remember how Aaron and Moses were together, and Joshua and Caleb were together, and how Jesus sent his disciples out in two, and how Paul and Silas were in a Philippian jail in Acts 16, and, and, and beaten with rods, and yet singing in prison. I, I fantasize that one of them was a bit 
probably would have reacted a bit like me and not been real thrilled about singing. You know, maybe, maybe there was a dragger and a draggy. Maybe, maybe Paul said, Silas, let's, let's sing, you know, and Silas was like, what? Every part of my body hurts. I do not want to sing. Go to sleep, Paul. And he's like, no, no, come on, let's sing. I feel like we're supposed to sing. Uh, may, shut up, Paul. You know, you know maybe, maybe it went like that. I, I like to think that perhaps it did just to make room for myself, you know, in the story. But I'm impressed with the power of twos. I'm I've been thinking about, you know, how can I lose weight, and, and uh, I know none of you have been thinking about that, but, but I've been noticing that the people, the people currently, it seems to me, who are really successful are people who, who get with a personal trainer, or they're, or they're exercising with someone in a faithful way, at least the people who are most successful. I'm sure there are success stories of people exercising on their own and dieting on their own, but... It seems to me like the people who are really successful get with someone and make a commitment to them. Same thing with counseling. If you're struggling with a problem and you go to a counselor, you're, you're committing to work through uh, issues with someone. See, you're not just holding it by yourself. Isn't that a powerful principle? John mentioned that Ichisan's conversion or his baptism, John, you really believe, was an effort of the whole church coming together. And so it's the power, the power of the group. I think of uh, Sue Wright uh, suggesting to the Kenya team that we meet for prayer on Sunday nights as a way to position the team for success in Kenya. I think of VBS that we just completed as a way to, a, a way we position ourselves as a group for success to see children and families come into the kingdom. Some of the crew leaders, I'm sure, were wanting to share Jesus Christ with, with their children, and it's a way to position through the VBS for success. I think of um, the churches who donated all throughout Tulsa right now. Churches are swapping props, right, for VBS uh, to make each one bigger and better. And um, I think that's the churches in Tulsa positioning the VBSs for success. And so you might come up with a different way to articulate the meaning of the parable of the ten virgins, but, but this is helpful for me. One more example. I want to mention Terry Ligon. Terry's going, what is he going to say? I think about Terry's work with the Muslim students at TU, and, um, Terry, the thing that amazes me about you is the willingness to stay up two, three, four in the morning. Um, that's when relationship is built uh, in that culture, is my understanding. Um, and so, you know, Terry is willing to position himself for success, at least with the particular men that he's working with. I would not be willing to do that. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll position myself somewhere else. But you get, you get my point. All right, let's look at number five and linger on the talents for a minute, the parable of the talents. This is one of the most 
misunderstood parables, I think, of any that I can think of. Uh, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you have entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful slave, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also had received the one talent came up and said to him, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, I have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness." In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this might surprise you, but the meaning, the phrase that I have uh, adopted for myself to get as close to the meaning as this uh, parable of the talents as I can is the phrase, make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. In Luke 19.13, there's a a similar parable about the minas and uh, what the master says to the slaves, in King James Version anyway, is occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. Isn't that a cool phrase? Occupy till I come. Well, in in the Greek, that word for occupy means uh, to do business. Do business until I return. But if you look that word up in English, it means um, to engage the full attention or energies of, to fill up in space or time. Let me tell you what the parable of the talents doesn't mean. First of all, it's not about money. I hope you can see that, that the parable of the talents is not about money. It's not even about a person's gifts and talents. It's not about God being demanding. In other words, we're not supposed to draw our image of God from this this parable. It's not about how false concepts of God take us down. And if we just have counseling and we understand God's true character, 
uh, we, will, we will be able to produce fruit for him. One financial site I saw said that, you know, it's about risk-taking. And I want to tell you, I don't think it's about risk-taking. Another equated the talents with um, the word of God and that we're to, to spread the word of God. I don't think so. It's about, what is, this, what is this parable about, really? In my view, it's about pressing, it's pressing us urgently to make the most of our time until he comes, to not be lazy. That was what, that was what the master identified as the, uh, the one who buried the talent in the ground, as his problem. It wasn't that he was afraid. It wasn't that he was ignorant of who the master was. The, the, the thing he said is, you wicked, lazy slave. And so I see this parable as urging us to make the most of our time. There's a quote by A.B. Bruce, The Parabolic Teachings of Christ, where he said, This parable teaches us the great lesson of urgency and promptitude. It says to us, The demands of the kingdom are very pressing. To work then at once without delay, to be prompt in action, is a cardinal virtue in the kingdom. Just one more thought on this, on this parable of the talents. It, it makes me remember how Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. I must be in my father's house when he was a small boy and he uh, stayed behind the caravan and his parents reproached him. Let's make the most of our time. And then the final parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats. I won't read that to you, but what I took away from that parable is to be rich in good deeds. Not that righteousness saves us, but much like the book of James emphasizes, that our faith is evidenced by our richness in good deeds. The book of Titus has some great verses along this line. Let me just read a few of them. Chapter 2, verse 14, He who gave himself for us that, we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Another verse, Let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. When I read that, parable of the sheep and the goats, I come away with how practical the needs are that the Lord is talking about. You gave someone drink, you fed someone, you clothed someone, you took them into your home. These acts of righteousness that we are to display. Um, I'm kind of glad to see that, I don't think Carl and Doris are here today, are they? I'm kind of glad about that because I didn't want to embarrass Carl but to me, Carl is the epitome of this parable. Um, we had Doris and Carl over recently, and, and Doris was saying that she, she sometimes is frightened when Carl takes on another yard to mow in the Oklahoma heat. And yet, with each step, Carl is actually mowing lawns to raise money for our missionaries. Uh, he's retired, and that's 
that's one of several things that he does. But I, just, I was just picturing in my, in my mind each step that he takes mowing. He's, he's taking um, for our missionaries and for the glory of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Uh, wearing himself out in the Oklahoma sun to be rich in good deeds. Well, I want to conclude now, and I want to ask you to prayerfully consider if you have stayed on duty or if the Lord is calling you to a renewed perseverance in your walk with him. I want to ask you to prayerfully ask yourself, have you positioned yourself for success adequately? There are so many ministries in this church that you could become a part of if um, the Lord would direct you to, to uh, make that sacrifice. And a third question is, are you making the most of your time? Are you making the most of your time? And I realize that there may be some who feel that they are doing all these things to their best of their ability, and yet they would still want to respond to this message by saying, Lord, increase my fruitfulness. Lord, increase my fruitfulness. So I want to invite any who feel some conviction this morning, not condemnation, but some conviction that uh, they would like to respond in some way to this message to stand, and we'll pray together. Uh, as I said, I think the Lord is working on me to to help me adapt or adopt the right um, posture to be fruitful. So would you stand right now if, if any of these questions or the prayer for greater fruitfulness um, fits your spirit right now? Thank you, Father. Father, we just um, want to humble ourselves before you. And to, uh, for those of us who feel a need for repentance, Lord, because we have been wasting our time or, or we haven't persevered as we should, or we have not found the right position yet to be as fruitful as possible. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, and we ask you to accept us anew, Father. We ask that we might dedicate ourselves anew to you, that we might be those who stay on duty, even though the days and months and years Whereon We pray that we would be that faithful servant who stays on duty, who perseveres for the master's return. Father, for those who are praying about creative ways to be more fruitful for 
ways to position themselves to uh, see souls won and to see people ministered to. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would lead us to those positions, to those ministries that would be the perfect fit for us so that we can be more fruitful, Lord. And when you show us, we pray that we would be obedient, that we wouldn't hem and haw and look for excuses. But, Lord, we would be ready to grasp the plow in some new way. And then, Father, for those of us who want to make the most of our time, Lord, help us. We ask you to urge us and to prod us, Lord, when we're wasting time, uh, when we're doing things that are not of you. We want to make the most of our time, Lord. We don't want to be lazy. We want to occupy. We want to do business. We want to pursue fruitfulness that you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so, Father, all of us just ask, increase our fruitfulness, O Lord. Increase our fruitfulness. We don't know, we don't want to limit how you do it or what you say to us, but we pray we would hear your voice and we would respond with obedience. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Let's believe that he will do this. Amen? Let's believe that he will speak to us and help us to position ourselves better for fruitfulness. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.